You're listening to Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and this is our State of the Nation, as in Cardinals Nation, address. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever, whenever you are listening. You're listening to the debut episode, the premiere, if you will, of Chirps. And we're very excited that you have chosen to give us a listen. We're happy to bring it to you. It's been a lot of fun to put together. We hope it's as much fun to listen to. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I figure we should probably introduce ourselves for those of you who may be unfamiliar. So I'm Tara Wellman. You can follow me on Twitter at Tara Wellman. I have to keep it simple so that I remember what it is. You can also find me on Birds on the Black. You can find me on YouTube creating the Bird Seeds content, including about last night and the series previews and a whole bunch of other stuff that you can check out when you get a minute. So I'm Tara. And as the intro mentioned, he's Alex. I am Alex. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at AlexCard79. And uh, you can also find me at Birds on the Black and also the blog uh, St. Louis Bullpen. Always lots of good Cardinals content there. So that's who, as for what, well, like we said, this is a Birds on the Black podcast about the Cardinals, which seems obvious. But don't expect this to be a let's break down all the headlines this week show. Instead, we want to take a quick 30-minute dive into basically one topic, dig a little deeper, focus on one particular thing that we think deserves a little extra discussion. And we're always happy to take your suggestions. So if there's a Cardinals topic you want to hear us sound off on in a future episode, do at us on Twitter. But that's the plan for what. Now your question is probably why? Because there are, I don't know, approximately 3,478 other Cardinals podcasts that you could probably listen to. So Alex, let's give the people a little bit of a, a pitch for why they should listen to Chirps. Um. Well, uh, just like with your, your television, you have way too many uh, TV channels to watch. Uh, this podcast should be the same. You should have way too many podcasts to listen to. Um, <laughs> No, I, I think I, I value what you have to say about the Cardinals. Um, I, I, I have, I, you know, I have things to say. I don't think we always agree on everything, but I think we, for the most part, um, are kind of in the same ballpark uh, when it comes to both the club and, and where we think they should be going. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, th- I think that's about it. I don't, I don't. It's very hard for me to say this is why you should listen to this podcast versus the ten thousand. <laughs> <laughs> just add it to there, your so. list, and then your drive yeah. to work. Just, yeah. just make it part of your day. No, but I agree. It's not going to be that long. It's, How about there that? you go. It's not going to be yeah. as long. That's the number one selling point. No, um, I would agree. I think uh, every time I have a conversation with Alex, I, I find myself sort of challenging my own kind of stereotypes or, or status quo way of thinking about, uh, about baseball in general, about the Cardinals in particular. And I love that. I love that. Um, you know, he always brings something a little bit different than the way I've thought about things before. So hopefully that's what we can do for all of you listening. We can, um, maybe challenge each other at times and also, you know, have uh, a conversation that inspires some new ideas. 
We're planning to release these shows on Wednesdays. You can find them at Birds on the Black. You can find us on iTunes, Overcast, SoundCloud. And please, if you listen to podcasts on a different app that does not already have the Birds on the Black podcast, let us know so that we can try to get it um, in their libraries as well so that you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, that was a long explanation, but let's get into the content of the show. As we mentioned, this is the sort of state of the nation address about the Cardinals and where they are and where they're going. There's a lot of conversation about this, and we feel like we have something to say. So let's get to that. Now, every year when the World Series is won, the baseball world seems to suggest that that, whatever that is, is how you build a World Series caliber team, right? That is what today's baseball looks like. You can either get on board or get an October tea time scheduled because the postseason is going to be dominated like by teams like this, whatever that is, fill in the blank for this year. Maybe it's how a bullpen is built. Maybe it's how a farm system is built, which usually involves tanking, but that's a different show. Maybe it's a strategy. Maybe it's a business. But the Cardinals haven't been anywhere close to the ones setting these precedents lately, which makes it reasonable, I think, to compare their model of success to teams who actually seem to be finding that set success enter the Boston Red Sox. But is it really that simple, Alex? Is it just a matter of Moe's model being broken? Or is there more to it than that? I, I definitely don't think Moe's model is broken. I will say this, when watching um, not just the Red Sox, but the playoffs in general, and I'm not making a novel point. I saw several people on Twitter before me make this comment, and that's that the Cardinals bullpen um, would have been very ill-suited, it seems <laughs> like, to to handle the playoffs um, with the way that they were managed. Um, and, you know, and what I mean by that was, is that, you know, starters often going, you know, at most it seemed like five innings. And that seemed like a trend throughout the playoffs. And and backing up before that, I, I want to say it was either Ben Humphrey or Ben Godar. Um, one's a Viva Alberto's former site manager. One is currently writer at Viva Alberto's that mentioned, like, can you imagine Matheny trying to keep up <laughs> with these other managers, um, you know, in terms of bullpen usage? And, you know, I hate to keep, well, I, I say I hate to keep pounding on Matheny as it, like this is our first show, so I haven't been constantly pounding <laughs> on Matheny. But but I think almost if you're a Cardinals fan, you've probably been. It feels like it has Matheny. been forever. <laughs> yeah, um, but it, that point seems so obvious, but I never really thought about it before. And yeah, like Matheny, I I feel like would have been so overmatched in those playoffs um, that I'm almost curious how he would have managed. <laughs> Not well. Um, <laughs> not only our roster but as compared to the other managers um th that said like is to go back to your question is his, is mo's model broken or, or whatnot um I, I say absolutely not on that and you know someone brought up right at the conclusion of the of the world series after the red sox won and that red sox team was just awesome like just one of the so best good. teams of our lifetime yeah yeah it's just so good um and they kind of said like look we played the red sox in 2013 in the world series they beat us um and look where they are five years later and look where we are five years later and you know th there's a little bit of merit to that because the red sox um 
if they aren't the model franchise, they are one of the model franchises. Like they, they outbid us for price. Um, and although I, I'll, you know, and that turned out to be big, although I'll point out at the, you know, it seemed like before the world series price was often looked at as a guy that, Ooh, thank God we missed on that, you know, um, which I've never felt that way. I think he would have fit in nicely, um, with the rotation. I would have loved to have him, um, in St. Louis, but that seemed to be a kind of a prevailing opinion of a lot of people. Um, they had the guts to go and pay JD Martinez money. You know, certainly that bat, I forget what, you know, he had like a WRC plus, I want to say like close to like 180, you know, like he was awesome this season. Um, so they, so they did that. They also had the guts to trade for Chris Sale. Um, and at the time trading, who, who I believe was a top prospect in baseball, right, in Mankata. And we talk about how much the Cardinals hug their prospects. Um, not necessarily hug their prospects, but how much we in our heads value our prospects. And I don't know if the fan base was ready to trade Alex Reyes and company for Chris Sale at the time. I mean, I think, you know, with hindsight, seeing how awesome Chris Sale has been in Boston and looking what Alex Reyes has been health-wise, we would say, yeah, of course do that. But at the time, I think people would have been, I don't know if that would have been unanimously approved, I think, at the time, if they had done something like that. Because it, that's exact, that's absolutely what it would have taken. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting when you put it in that context, right, that the the Red Sox were willing to go out and take this risk, which, I mean, it's Chris Sale. It wasn't that big of a risk. But the point is they were willing to do something now at the expense of whatever Mankata could be later because they felt like they had a chance to win. And I think that's where a lot of the criticism comes from but maybe isn't always backed up by a willingness to move those pieces, right? You see all these possible trade polls on Twitter from a number of people. And inevitably, it seems like those high price prospects are, are the ones that no one wants to trade. But then they also want to, you know, blame John Mozeliak for not making the big moves. You can't always have one without the other. You look at the World Series teams this year that made moves. You look at the the postseason teams this year. All of them made moves at the deadline that were pretty significant trades that brought pieces back that made them a, a World Series contender. Those kinds of moves are the things that it feels like the Cardinals have not done that Boston has. But that said, to put it in context, the Cardinals actually have a better record overall than Boston does since 2013. So you're looking at some really high highs and some really low lows. And that seems to be the trade-off. Yeah. And, and I think that's something that Cardinals fans also need to recognize that and again, believe me, I think Boston is a, is a model franchise and they're probably winning that division, um, possibly winning the World Series without like a player like Ben Attendi. But that's a guy they were able to draft, I think, in 2015 with the seventh pick as a result of finishing last the season before. <laughs> now, the Cardinals haven't had a draft pick that high, I want to say in like 20 years, probably since when they drafted J.D. Drew. They haven't finished last in almost 30 years. And that's another thing, like, if Cardinals fans want to say, like, well, you know, how do we get to be like Boston? You have to reconcile that with the fact that if you're fine handling a season that's lost 
by the time August rolls around, you know, to get to be able to be in position to to make a draft pick like that, then then fine. But I don't think everyone, you know, I I think in the I can't moment, imagine I that going over well. I think yeah, I think everyone would be be complaining as you know they're thirty back come August first, and believe me, it's not just a result of Boston having like a high draft picked once and, and doing well, they've drafted very well, uh, regardless. I think, you know, Mookie Betts was like a fifth round pick and mm-hmm. I think they got Jackie Bradley like a, in the first round, but he was like, I think like the 40th pick or something like that, maybe 35th, something like that. So, so they've drafted very well. They really are um, what I would pretty much call a model franchise. Now the other part of that that seems to come up when we're talking about John Mozeliak is payroll, right? As far as what the Cardinals are willing to spend, who they're willing to spend it on. The Boston Red Sox had the highest payroll in baseball this year. So they have that in their back pocket as well, a larger market, they have money to spend, but they're also they haven't been afraid to put that money where they need it in order to fill in the the holes that their system can't fill. That seems to be where the Cardinals may be more willing to go, which is strange to say because they haven't gone there in the last five years. Not really, um, but they, they they've tried. tried. Though, right? right, they've tried. They tried with David Price. They tried with Giancarlo Stanton. They were going to give him a ton of money. And they were fine with that as well as some prospects in the process. So it's not as if the Cardinals haven't tried to spend money on a high price target. It just... It just hasn't worked out, and that's it just sort of how it goes sometimes. It's it that doesn't make it less frustrating. That doesn't make John Mozeliak uh, used the word recently bridesmaid. <laughs> doesn't make that feel any better. Um, but it's not as if they haven't been willing to spend that money. It just they haven't found the right guy that would take it. <laughs> yeah, and and the people they have paid just haven't haven't worked out. Kind of the more right. middling prospects like. Uh, like Fowler and and look, I was on record. Um, I wrote a, a column um, at Viva Alberta's at the time of how much Dexter Fowler would help the team, and that looks like that could be a you know there's still three years left, but right now it, it looks it's hard to call it anything but a disaster. Seems so such a harsh word, but I really don't know what else to say. I mean, he, <laughs> it was so bad last year, and and not yeah. only just from a performance standpoint, but just like how bad Matheny was, it, it sounds like with, you know, handling, you know, your, your newly signed uh, free agent in the locker room. I mean, I, I still understand how it even got to that. It was, it was, it was just unacceptable. And you know what? That's another thing I'll say about the Red Sox, um, which is that they had the guts to fire John Farrell when they did, which was following not only just a couple seasons after he won a world series, but, after he'd been in the playoffs two seasons in a row. I don't know if Mose like makes that, like say the Cardinals won the world series in 2013. Um, and then let's say they follow the Red Sox path and miss the playoffs a couple seasons, but then return in 2015 and 2016, or well, I might have that wrong. 2016, 2017, whatever. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if he fired. I don't think Matheny's fired. I don't think they have the guts to make that move that Red Sox that the Red Sox did. So I think um, it, it took it took the disaster of Dexter Fowler almost 
to be the thing that pushed them over the edge, yeah, right? Think, because it wasn't right. it wasn't performance. It wasn't based on making or missing the postseason. It was they got to a point where they were at this dead end with whatever it was that was going on. And we can only assume based on what we've read, what we've heard, people we've talked to, but we were not in the room. <laughs> so we can only make very large speculations. But by all accounts, it was really, really bad. And there was no solution to it other then pick one. Do you want Dexter Fowler? And it wasn't just Fowler, let's be clear. There were other people involved in, in right. whatever was going on there. Um, but that was the most uh, the most publicized um, whatever, rivalry, whatever you want to call it. But you're right. I, I don't think that the performance factor as far as making or missing the postseason was what ultimately decided Mike Matheny's fate when Boston was willing to make a move at the manager position, even after they'd found a bit of success again. Right. And, and again, like I, I, I want to say Farrell did, did something um, like, like almost egregious in the playoffs in 2017, although it's escaping me, which makes me think maybe I'm just making this up. Like, like I, I feel like there was one thing um, that was kind of like, kind of helped push this along that gave them a, a really good excuse to fire him um, even though they had just made the playoffs but but overall it wasn't that different from Matheny in terms of like even though that they were even though they were doing really well um, there was a large section of fans I know Red Sox fans who who did not like him who, who questioned his moves um, you know this isn't something I can really comment on because I, I don't watch the Red Sox 162 times a year like I do the Cardinals um, but I know he wasn't seen as like a great X's and O's guy. Um, come to think of it, I, I feel like in 2013, he, he could barely pull off a double switch when they were playing in the National League in the World <laughs> Series, um, if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, so those pesky National League rules. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you are right in that it wasn't necessarily, um, you know, the situations are different between Farrell and Matheny and, and whether or not mosaic would have had the guts to fire him like the red sox or the feral um who knows and that it was more fowler driven but you do have to give the red sox credit for that um i think a lot of teams wouldn't have done that um you know i'm kind of torn between like you know this is someone's job and i i want some i want this to be a, a job where people have stability just like any other job um on the other hand there's only 30 of these jobs and at all times you should want if if you're the owner of a team, you should want the guy who you think is best suited to to get your team where they should be. And if you don't feel like you have that guy, then you should fire him. Is that I don't know if that sounds harsh or <laughs> or if that if that's misguided in terms of like, well, you can't just be firing a manager every two years. You're right, but I think the the important part of that is that you you have to feel like the guy leading the charge is the guy that has the same vision that has the ability to, you know, carry that vision out, which I think is what the Red Sox got in Alex Cora. He's a guy that every one of those, listen, I watched the post game, uh, t the post game show after they won the world series for a long time and heard every single one of those players who couldn't say enough about how Alex Cora made them better. And that's the guy that you want leading the charge, right? Not somebody that you feel like maybe has a, a good mind for the game, but doesn't know how to translate it. And to your point, again, the Red Sox had the vision to 
make that change because of where they wanted to go. Um, the, the Cardinals were resistant. John Mozeliak and company were resistant to make a change when it seemed very evident that there was a cavernous gap <laughs> between the manager on the field and the vision that they had going forward. But I think that sort of circles back to where we started with this, right? Is, is that vision that John Mozeliak has the right vision for the Cardinals to make them quote, I'm doing air quotes. You can't see it because it's a podcast, but I'm doing air quotes to make them successful because all of that is based on how John Mozeliak defines success, isn't it? Well, yeah. And I, you know, earlier we were talking about, you know, is is Mo's model broken or whatever. And I think often when we think of his model, we think of kind of like this very risk adverse, um, you know, way of going about doing things. But we also talked about how, you know, they tried to pay Giancarlo Stanton. Um, so I don't, you know, they tried to, they tried to get David Price. So obviously they didn't try hard enough um, because they, they were outbid handily by the Red Sox, but they tried to pay Jason Hayward. Um, they gave him a very comparable, you know, offer that the Cubs gave him. Um, so I, I do think, and you know, I was listening. To, I don't know. Have you listened to the latest Seeing Red podcast? They they did a new. I have one. not listened. Okay, to the last so one. they had a new one today, um, and you know, the first new one in a while. That's for those who don't know. That's the really good podcast with Bernie Miklas and Will Leach. Um, and Bernie mentioned, like, you know, that they that he thought that you know he thinks that they're very close to to being competing again. Um, and you know, and it and it is a player like you know, Bryce Harper, who I'm sure we'll talk about in a later episode, um, you know, they are just like a Bryce Harper-like player away from getting back to where they were from 2011 through 2015 or 2000, the year 2000 through 2015. Um, and, and I think that's true. And, and so it almost comes down to if they can now just actually land one of these guys, um, you know, an elite talent if they can actually get an elite talent to sign and come to st louis i think that'll be huge because and that will kind of i don't know reinforce that you know mo mo has really done a good job a pretty good job here in that you know lately he's he's handed out some bad contracts especially to relievers i hope we don't do that again um fowler as we mentioned hasn't been great but really there hasn't been much sunk cost in the team i mean the fact that matt holiday going back almost 10 years now, still has the biggest contract in franchise history, I, I think says a lot about that. So it's really interesting to me to, in having this conversation, uh, two things that I want to um, mention as we uh, kind of bring this full circle. Uh, one, as far as Boston is concerned, obviously it's, like I mentioned off the top, it's easy and almost inevitable to start comparing your own team to the team that wins it all at the end of the season. Boston has won, what, now four World Series titles since 2004. But I don't know that any Boston fan or perhaps anyone that works in the front office in Boston would trade one of those titles for those in-between years to be sort of okay instead of really bad. And that's kind of what the trade-off is in a lot of ways for most teams that have those really bad years to then get themselves to a World Series title. And in that light, it's very much the title is the goal. That World Series trophy is the goal. And anything that falls short of that isn't good enough. So anything that you have to do to get there is acceptable. Now, as you mentioned, I don't know that that would go over well 
in St. Louis. So you sort of have to take a step back and look at this and realize that the Cardinals have missed the playoffs now for three consecutive seasons. But as you just said, they're still one piece away. It's not like they need to go through this complete rebuild in order to be right back there in the division race, right back there in a postseason conversation. And that in and of itself is pretty impressive, even if you sort of acknowledge that, yes, they've been willing to spend money. The execution on those contracts hasn't been terrific, but that that's all you know part of the risk of playing this game. Yeah, and and believe me, I would rather have four World, World Series titles versus two World Series titles. Um, <laughs> but there is something to be said for, you know, Boston, uh, believe it or not, actually has three last place finishes um, going back to 2012. You know, there's 162 of these stupid games. And, you know, I, I, I get the MLB package, you know, I watch every game and it sure is helpful to feel like I'm watching something meaningful in August um, if I'm investing so much time and energy <laughs> into these games. So I do appreciate the fact. I'm one of those weird fans that likes the fact that the Cardinals never finished in last. You know, they haven't finished in last since 1990. Um, and I think before that, since like 2008, since 2018, since like 1918, you know, they just don't finish in last. Um, you can usually count on them playing meaningful baseball um, almost up until the last week of the season if not all the way through into the playoffs. And, you know, I, I, I don't think that's trivial. I appreciate that. Um, I, I would have a hard time handling a couple last place finishes. Um, that's not to say I wouldn't take those four World Series titles because I absolutely would. I, Dane Perry wrote a few years ago in the Baseball Prospectus Annual about kind of like the Weaver Trophy, um, which is a trophy that also uh, it, it, that honors the – MLB team with the best regular season record Um, because the regular season in baseball should matter with how many games there are like you look at Cleveland last year when they won 22 games in a row I think it was like that was insane that was awesome Um, so even though they didn't win the World Series and they didn't even make it to the World Series like that is a very successful season that is a very very cool thing to do um, and something that should be looked looked back upon with fondness And so I'm not one of those, like, you know, you have to win the World Series or it was a waste of time. Because, I mean, there's 30 teams, you know, and there's 162 games that each team plays. It just doesn't work that way. And if if you look at the – if you're going to look at it through that prism, I feel like you're going to be very unhappy. Yeah. Yes. It's uh, it's very easy to become very unhappy most of the time if the only thing that is satisfactory is a World Series title. I think, long story short, what we the conclusion we've come to is that uh, the model's not necessarily broken. They're just there needs to be better execution, whether it's in the particular players that are signed or in the ability to go out and sign that big name. But then, you know, the players on the field have to live up to that as well. So maybe it's not broken. Maybe it's just, it needs a, a, a little, uh, a little energy boost, <laughs> maybe uh, something like a uh, Bryce Harper. And yes, we will definitely talk about that. Don't you worry. I, I want to get your opinion on something. Am I crazy or um, do you feel, and again, I don't want to keep, I don't want to just keep piling on Matheny. Um, I, I think he's a, a very fine person and I'm also very glad he's no longer managing the Cardinals. Um, and I'll try and leave it at that 
am I crazy for feeling much better heading into this offseason, like heading into the winter meetings, knowing Matheny is not the manager that a prospective free agent will be playing for? You know, you know what I mean? Like, like when, when prospective free agents are looking at the Cardinals saying, hey, would I like to play there? Matheny, that Matheny cloud is no longer hanging over the team. Um, do you feel that way as well? I absolutely do. I don't I don't think that's crazy at all. And I think maybe that is where we can kind of draw the line between the last couple of off seasons and this one is that that's not a factor. That cloud was going to follow the Cardinals into any free agent conversation, I think, because of how detrimental it had gotten in the clubhouse. And no, I don't think it's crazy at all to think that the Cardinals can maybe kind of take a breath and and refocus and put their focus and their attention on what they actually want and not necessarily how that player would or would not be utilized because of who the manager is. And I think that is absolutely fair. And again, I, I think Mike Matheny's probably a really wonderful human. I just don't think he was very good at managing the St. Louis Cardinals. And that, for me, is the biggest difference going into this offseason compared to last year. I agree. All right. Well, we did sort of set a timer for ourselves to make sure that we weren't taking up too much of your time. But at the end of every episode, we want to give you a fun little tidbit. It might be a fun stat or a story or even a tweet from you guys that we thought was really awesome. We're going to call this our chirp of the week. I think working title we will still figure it out, see how it feels. But this week, Alex, I know you came ready with a tribute of sorts to one Greg Garcia. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a tribute to the uh, dearly departed, um, and and not just Greg Garcia, but um, Greg Garcia. He was what claimed by the Padres, right? Is that that's how he ended mm-hmm. up there? They claim yep. okay. So I, I think Greg Garcia was mostly known as um, a guy who uh, was good to have on the bench and who was pretty good at getting on base and who would hit for little to no power. Um, he left the Cardinals with 860 plate appearances, um, a 356 on base percentage. Um, a lot of that is from 2016 when he had a 393 on base percentage, which for players in the National League with at least 250 plate appearances, that was seventh. Wow. Um, and actually, that was tied with Dexter Fowler, who had twice as many plate appearances, if you want to remind <laughs> yourself why we signed Dexter Fowler in the first place. But anyways, so yeah, Greg Garcia... Ended his time with the Cardinals with a 356 on base percentage, a 339 slugging percentage, 860 plate appearances. So I looked at uh, Baseball References Play Index, which is something everyone should should uh, subscribe to if you're interested in wasting a lot of time with stats and stuff like <laughs> this. And I did a search for players who played for the Cardinals, had at least 850 plate appearances with the Cardinals had an on-base percentage of 355 or better, but a slugging percentage of 340 or worse. So it's really tailored kind of around a player like Greg Garcia. And I only got four matches back, including Garcia. Two of the players, Miller Huggins and Jack Crooks, it's okay if you've never heard of them. They (laughs) both played before Stan Musial was even born. Um, So that's two. The third, the last player besides Greg Garcia, is another dearly departed, Jose Oquendo. Ah. In fact, I also learned, so I was looking at Jose Oquendo, because, you know, we always think of him, of his value as like that guy who could play every position. Um, 
which is kind of, you know, he did that once, but, you know, he really only belonged at a couple, you know, he was like Greg Garcia. He was very good in the infield. Um, you could also stick him in a corner outfield mm-hmm. spot if you really had to. Um, but Jose Okenda was really good at getting on base. He was really good at drawing walks. And I, I don't know if that's really part of his legacy. Um, maybe that's because he played at a time. He played from 1986 to 95 with the Cardinals when people didn't, you know, value uh, – you know, walk percentage as much as they do now. But from 86 to 95, again, play index stuff for players with at least 3,000 plate appearances in the National League, he had the seventh best walk rate. Mm. Um, and so I was like, okay, so I was hoping like all the players in front of him would be like the sluggers of the day, like Eric Davis, Daryl Strawberry, Barry Bonds. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, <laughs> the, the six in front of him are Barry Bonds, of course. But then it's Dave Magadan. Darren Dalton, John Cruck, Von Hayes, very Phillies heavy, um, and then David Justice. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, one, that only four people in the Cardinals history can fit that criteria, but also that Jose Okendo was so good at drawing walks. I knew he was kind of good at getting on base. I didn't know he was that good. There you go. Now you know that Jose Okendo and Greg Garcia are forever connected in Cardinals history. You can come back and be the third base coach someday. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Well, that is the working title chirp of the week. I don't know. You let me know what you think and uh, maybe we'll stick with it or change it up every time to see what sticks. That will do it for episode one, though, of Chirps. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure that you are subscribed to the Birds in the Black podcast on iTunes. Again, you can find it on Overcast, SoundCloud, wherever you listen to your podcast. Hopefully, if not, please let us know. We'll be back at you again next time to dive into another crazy off-season topic, which there are always plenty of. So for Alex, I'm Tara, and we'll talk to you next time on Terps.